Yeah. All right, Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewer Review 2021 Christmas episode starring Scott Bartell, Vince Travato, and yours truly, Craig Miller. And we've got Chad Collins, hopefully going to be joining us later, perhaps, if he's not still trapped in the 4-4 bathroom at uh, the old Miller Park, Amfam Field, whatever you call it these days. Anyway, uh, I, thought, I thought that Chad was at the piano lessons today. Yeah, so he could do the intro because right. like he did it on right. our TV show. Yeah, he does. Hopefully, our listeners are familiar right. with our award-winning television show. But uh, not to have all of our Brewer fans and listeners get locked out of the Christmas spirit, but uh, you have to mention that the. Um, Unfortunately, the MLB owners did lock out the players on December 2nd, like it was expected. So we're currently in the lockout. Just before that went down, though, David Stearns did pull off a, I guess we would call it an 11th hour move, um, and a pretty big one at that. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about first here on the podcast. Uh, we'll exchange gifts and do the what have you. Um, in fact, if, hopefully you guys can read some passages from uh, Mark Antonio's next new release. Um, but uh, in the meantime, let's talk about this trade. Um, the Brewers traded to the Boston Red Sox, uh, fielder Jackie Bradley Jr., and two prospects, uh, infielders Alex Belenis and... David Hamilton, um, and they received in return outfielder Hunter, Hunter Renfro, right-hand hitting Hunter Renfro. Um, so I don't know what to start off. What are your what were your thoughts on this trade? Uh, you know, to me, I, I like the trade. I think that it was good in the sense that I think Jackie Bradley Jr. clearly needed a, a change of scenery at this point. He definitely struggled last year. Although I don't hate him like a lot of Brewers fans do. I think that he still was very valuable on defense. So I, I don't think it was, you know, he was a guy that didn't have any value. I, I think that I'm excited about the trade just because Renfro is able to provide a little bit of power in our lineup. Um, to me, though, this can't be our only offensive move uh, this offseason. I think that basically Renfro, to me, is a little bit of a better version of Avi Garcia. So after we lost Garcia in free agency to Miami, um, I think the team knows that they need to replace his, his production from last year. So I, to me, this is doing that, uh, but it's not necessarily improving the team from where we were last, uh, last season, which is still in need of some offense. I, I think we need to go out and get at least one other big bat um, this off season, but I, I welcome this move on its own. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think originally Jackie Bradley Jr. was kind of almost signed as like a defensive uh, insurance policy for Lorenzo Cain, who sat out most of 2020, was it, with COVID? I forget how many years, well, what year it is, but um, yeah. And so Cain wound up coming back for 2021, um, played pretty well. And I just think that maybe um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was getting paid a lot and he was kind of expendable. And let's face it, offensively, um, there's a lot of areas that we probably need to upgrade and any kind of payroll flexibility that we could get, um, probably a good idea. So we sent him on his way and we wish him good luck. 
Yeah, let's see. Maybe a list here of uh, reasons I don't like the trade. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> just kidding. Um, the, oh, dear. <laughs> so basically, you can look at this a couple of ways. Had the Brewers, you know, had to just give up, get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr.'s uh, salary as a salary dump and had to give up these two prospects. Um I would not have liked it if they would have just straight up given uh, this, the prospects for Hunter Renfro, I would definitely not have liked it. Um, so the fact that they combined and actually accomplished both, I think makes at least a trade that makes sense, at least from the Brewers perspective. Um, and even for the Red Sox perspective, they're basically a larger market team that just bought prospects is what happened. And they brought back a familiar player, to help mentor one of the young players who's going to be their everyday center fielder going in the future. And that's Jaron Duran. And so Jackie Brandley jr. I think will bounce back a little bit. Obviously his 2021 can be nothing short of explained as horrific. And therefore the brewer fans that are somewhat short sighted and saw his at bats. don't want to see anymore. And I get that. And uh, I guess the thing that really Hunter Renfro, I guess kind of will fill in. He has a similar hitting profile as Avi Garcia, who we just lost through free agency. Not a huge fan of Hunter Renfro. He strikes out a ton. Um, he does have power. Um, but again, wouldn't even be surprised if the Red Sox would have considered non-tendering him. Uh, in fact, just a year ago, he was non-tendered and not a single team picked him up. So I really don't think he holds much value, positive value at all. Um, so that's a little bit... I guess it bothers me the most about the trade is the fact that to me, it signals that the brewers won't be spending much in free agency to improve their offense. And that to me is very troubling going into 2022 when I really feel like our pitching staff top to bottom makes us or should make us a world series contending team in 2022, as long as we had an improved offense and it's hard for me to see us, at this stage being improved going into 2022 without making a significant trade or free agent signing. And this is disconcerting to me. And that's, that's the biggest thing that the trade signals to me, not that that still can happen, can't happen, but I think it means Hunter Renfro is going to get significant at bats in our lineup. And I guess I should point out that obviously the biggest part of this trade that I really just, just kills me to lose is Alex Benellis was a possible first round pick had an off season in his final season at university of Louisville. He's got power. He's actually originally from Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And he really, to me profiles as, you know, someone almost, you know, like a future Matt Olson, um, who we were just talking on our last podcast of possibly acquiring. And so it really bothers me that we had to give him up just to shed a, a mistake that we made last off season. I guess that's the part of the trade that bothers me the most. Uh, I still wish him the best, but David Hamilton's also a prospect that's probably, I think, going to become a, an everyday regular, and he's got like 80-grade speed, which is hard to find in baseball nowadays. So either of these guys could be significant major leaguers, in my opinion, and I think just to give them up as a small market team to shed salary, frankly, kind of sucks. But I guess it is what it is. I don't know why it was done. And, Craig, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I, Craig, I don't know that I think that this is – you know, a, a sign that we're not doing anything via free agency. You know, David Stearns made some comments in that press conference. I know you were there with the press passes that we have, but um, 
he mentioned that this trade just kind of came together within a couple of days, that this was not some long thought out thing. I, I kind of think in this case, he saw an opportunity to replace a guy. I mean, Avi Garcia had signed with Miami, what, like six days or something before the trade was made. It was, it was very closely after uh, Garcia departed that he, he picked up Renfro. So for my money, I don't know that this was necessarily anything other than a quick opportunity that he, that he, saw and seized upon to to replace Garcia's production. I don't know if it really plays into an overall strategy, especially with so many unknowns right now with the with the shutdown. Yeah, and that's what... well I think the biggest problem with it is but when you look at it is that I feel like we're pretty responsible for the trade. I mean if you think about it in our past episodes and you know you regular listeners, I um I appreciate this, but you can always go back and listen to them again. It'd be totally fine. Um, you know help our stats a little bit, but um, I complained that we had invested a ton of money into our outfield um, and we frankly just didn't come close to getting the production that, you know, that we had invested in. And then, so that was part of it. And I did have maybe poked a little bit of fun at JBJ a little bit, like just a little tongue in cheek humor about his, you know, uh, he had a rough season offensively, let's face it. And, and that's how you get over it, through humor. Um, and then Craig said that he really wanted more home runs in our lineup and really wanted a power hitter. And I think it all just came together. Like, I assume that Stearns or one of, you know, one of his buddies listened to it and was like, oh, this is not a bad idea, guys. And then he was kind of just trying to do this for us. So, you know, it is what it is. But Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome Hunter Renfro to the 2022 Milwaukee Brewers. And, you know, <laughs> he is someone, like you said, will will bring a similar hitting profile to Avi Garcia. And I, I just feel like this trade may not have happened if it not had that uh, impending lockout looming over. Has it, like you said, seemed to come back, come together quickly uh, at the, at the very last minute, but Honestly, we would have been stuck with Jackie Bradley Jr. if this trade didn't go down because I really don't think any other team was willing to um, take him out in his salary on. And so I think Boston was probably one of the only people that we even had to deal with. So the fact that they had some prospects of our uh, that they liked that that ours and that were willing to do it, I think is 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 I guess something there. But and I, I don't totally disagree with. I, I think the Brewers will do something with that money that's been saved now for getting rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. because. Hunter Renfro's arbitration number should fall around like 7 million, which is less than Avi was making with us last year. I think it was like 10 million or something like that. So in the last year of his contract. So we get, we don't not only have that uh, 10 plus million back from Jackie Bradley Jr.'s contract, but we also save about $3 million going from Avi to Renfro. So it should free up some money for us to use somewhere to improve the team in 2022. Not that, you know, we couldn't have expanded the, the, the payroll, but it gives some more flexibility going in the season for sure. And, and whenever the CBA is agreed upon uh, the Brewers could possibly be players in some form in the free agent market or even be a trade. So we'll see. It, but, but to me, if you just look at our offense now and our, our whole team, we don't really have that many more holes now that we've signed that backup catcher, Pedro Severino and, and basically got Renfro to praise Gar- Garcia's spot in the lineup. There's not a ton more, you know, regulars that we really need um, or even space on the 40 man and 25 man roster for sure. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, that's for sure. So should also point out um, 
that the Brewers did make a couple of minor leagues after the lockout actually happened. They've, they've signed a couple of minor league free agents that, in my opinion, are really intriguing. And this is one area that Matt Arnold and um, David Stearns, I think, really excel at is like finding these kind of um, possible reclamation con- uh, projects of, of minor league free agents, uh, as we've seen here in the past. And this group that they that they quickly signed kind of intrigues me quite a bit. The biggest guy, I guess, I'll throw out there is uh, outfielder Garrett Whitley, who is a former first round pick uh, in the same draft that the Brewers picked, formerly Trenton Clark, who turned into Trent Grissom. Grissom. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he picked, he actually went two spots ahead of him. And I know the Brewers were interested probably at the time of Garrett Whitley. Whitley was drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays 13th overall in that draft. And he really, um, has been kind of in the minor leagues, putting up decent numbers, but he got squeezed from their 40 man roster and it was a minor league free agent. The Brewers picked him up. He's only 24 years old. And I think uh, Matt Arnold and uh, was actually there when they when they drafted this guy. So I think he's probably, a, a, you know, personal. He's going to get some opportunities, I think, with us at AAA. And, you know, he could be a future regular, in my opinion. And I think that would be a really sneaky signing um, by the Brewers. And then they also did what they – wow, since we lost uh, Prince Fielder, the Brewers have been just throwing every first baseman at the wall that sticks, and and they signed a couple of a couple of more, or just to see what sticks over the last ten plus years, and they signed a couple of more minor league freighters. One of them is Tyler White, formerly an Astro, actually, so uh, from Vince next, next to the Woods, and he's a right-handed hitting uh, first baseman. He's thirty-one years old, but he does have some pop, and he's got a decent walk rate and everything, and. Uh, he might be past his prime, but you know, as as a minor league free agent signing, that that's not a bad signing. And then also John Singleton, also a former Astro. Um, he is only thirty years old. He's hits left handed. He's a power header only. Well, um, yeah, exactly. Um, but he <laughs> he actually has been out of baseball. For a couple, he was out of uh, uh, major league baseball for the last couple of seasons. If you guys remember correctly, he actually got banned for I think like a hundred games for testing positive. I believe it was for marijuana at the time back in like 2015, and he really flamed out. The Astros had actually offered him like a six-year contract before he even took his first major league at bat, um, and that was a huge mistake uh, as he got banned from uh, for a hundred games and really flamed out in the minor leagues. But last year he tried to make a comeback in the Mexican leagues and he had like some, something ridiculous, like 15 homers and less than 200 at bats and like 1100 OPS. And supposedly he's completely jacked and recommitted now. And not only that, but since that time, major league baseball has now taken marijuana off of their drug policy list and, and grouped it in the same grouping as alcohol basically. And so um, I think without that, he, his development wouldn't, would not maybe been stunted. And so, I don't know, I think he could be someone who, you know, has a second life, almost like Eric Thames or something um, in the major league. So you just never know. So those are, in my opinion, there are three, three really interesting minor league signings. I don't know if you guys have thoughts or any favorites among that grouping at all. Well, doesn't, uh, doesn't David Stearns have a relationship with Singleton from their time together in Houston? Very likely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, you know. Anytime that you're, uh, you know, a former, you know, much heralded prospect making any sort of comeback, it's, you know, it's, it's newsworthy. Uh, many times that doesn't really 
pan out as we saw when the Brewers had brought Brett Lowry back, for instance. But um, yeah, you might, you might catch lightning in a bottle once in a while. And, you know, for these low risk signings, we've seen that the Brewers have, you know, probably turned a higher percentage of these guys around to, to be somewhat of a functioning piece within the organization, um, probably more so than most other franchises. So I'll, I'll give Stearns and Arnold the benefit of the doubt. The, the risk is very minimal with any of these things. And, you know, I think, I think it is kind of noteworthy that the Brewers uh, of all the teams in baseball seem to be the most active right now um, signing guys, to these minor league contracts that, you know, obviously you can't touch anyone that's part of the major league baseball players association at the moment, but it doesn't mean that we're sleeping on a lot of these other potential, you know, fits uh, or, or at least depth in the minor leagues, if nothing else. Yeah, I think it's always good. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, sort of, you know, churning the bottom of the roster and, you know, seeing what we can get. I just think it's important to to realize that these are potentially good players. Um, but having said that, I don't want to, like, go into opening day relying on them to be like, hey, this guy's going to give us, um, you know, 400 plate appearances and he's going to do this and it's going to be great. Like, you can't really go into it thinking that, but... Um, you know, you, you always gravitate toward these players that have these high ceilings and, and see what we can do. And, um, yeah, there's some value there for sure. A guy that kind of fits in this grouping, not that the Brewers were lucky enough to sign, but I think it's smart to sign guys like this um, just because every, a lot of them flame out, like you said, but even if you hit on one of them, it could just be absolutely huge. The guy that this is similarly this happened to in the last five years is actually Max Muncy, who used to be um, – an A's minor leaguer and um, he eventually got squeezed out their 40 man and the Dodgers picked them up off of waivers. And he's basically one of their best hitters. And in fact, he got injured just before the playoffs this last year. And I think that cost them dearly and they didn't actually make it all the way to the world series probably because of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, Max Muncy is quite a phenomenal player and, and any of these guys, you know, could, you know, really, they have a high ceiling and I think they can have the talent to possibly, um, you know, maybe turn around like that. But like you guys said, the most likely they'll probably flame out in some form, but you just never know. I'm especially, uh, these guys, um, Garrett Whitley is the guy who's young, the youngest is only 24. He definitely is someone that, you know, could definitely uh, still hit his stride almost similar to how Trent Grisham did. Um, you know, when we were almost ready to give up to him as a prospect as last year, he really, he really came on and actually, uh, became a valuable trade trip as you saw uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, he a player in his rookie season with the club, obviously. Um, so, all right, well, moving on to the next thing, we will have a wrap of nine coming up talking about the CBA. Um, but um, before that, I guess let's get to our Christmas part of the episode. <laughs> and uh, well, who's on your guys' wish list? Now, when this obviously nothing can really happen at the major league level to the CBA is agreed upon, so it may not be till late March where or hopefully not that long, but um, and hopefully definitely hopefully not longer than that. But once that opens up, you know, teams can start making some frantic free agent signings or possible trades. Um, is there anyone that would be on your Christmas wish lists for Santa Stearns and Mark Antanasio to open up their pocketbooks for as a free agent that's still looming out there or even uh, someone to acquire via trade? Did you say Mark Antoniak or Mark Antonasio? Mark Antonasio is still doing great things. I, I know he just came out with um, 
Eat Shit and Bark of the Moon, Volume Two, um, which we'll read some yeah. pages of, of uh, a little bit later, potentially. But uh, but and, and he wants proceeds of that to go to all the victims of the the, the most recent tornadoes that passed through the states of Kentucky and most of the um, or Midwest states of uh, <laughs> the United States. He wants the, the proceeds of sale of his new book to go to that. I know that he helped out his first book helped, really helped out the victims of Hurricane Katrina back in the 2000s. But uh, Mark's just got a big heart. But we're talking about actually the guy with a bigger pocketbook, and that's Mark Antonasio, the brewer's owner. Um, oh, okay. I'll, yeah. yeah so he, no, I got it now. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll go with Matt Olson. I, you know, we talked about him a little bit on our last podcast. I think that the Brewers could really use that infusion of power. I don't think that, like I mentioned, I don't think that Renfro uh, moves the needle. I think Renfro is a, a good replacement for Avi Garcia, but, you know, that just brings us back to where we were last season. Um, you know, if you get a guy like Matt Olson, you bring in Renfro and you really hope that Christian Yelich and or Keston Hira start to hit, then your offense becomes a lot more formidable and, and can, you know, couple with that outstanding pitching staff. Yeah, I would love to acquire him as well. Scott? Um, I don't know. I still keep thinking. Every time we do this, I just keep thinking back about when I thought it would be a great idea for the Brewers to sign Jason Schmidt. And ever <laughs> since then, I've always thought uh, – I think I might have been drunk when I said it. But I um, – no, Well, you know, once <laughs> in a while, you have to enjoy life. But um, <laughs> I just – I, when it comes to like top three agents, like I just don't necessarily see, um, like there's so many players that are looking at, um, you know, these mega multi-year deals and like five, six years. And like, I just don't think that that's really the brewer way. Um, I think that, um, Stearns really had it right when, you know, when he got guys like, you know, um, um, like Grandal for, you know, for a year and let's, you know, give him a, give them a big one-year deal and see what happens and really go for it. Um, I don't necessarily like when I look at everybody out there, I mean, I don't know who's going to get that kind of one-year deal. Like the closest thing I can even think to somebody that we might get is somebody like, I don't know, like, like Kyle Schwarber or something like that. But, um, or like, I don't know. Somebody's going to pay Chris Bryant, right? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a few players out there, but like all of the big ones, like Correa and stuff, I think we can just cross those off the list. I just don't think it's going to necessarily happen for us. The only thing that I really will say is, and I know this is kind of dodging the question a little bit, but like you guys, you guys know, I like wings at Magoo's, right? Um, and you know, I like beers at Benno's and I'd like to have those things every night. And, you know, right now I think I would pay, triple for Magoo's wings right now, or I'd pay triple for, you know, for all the beers at Benno's, but um, you can't do that all the time. But if you're the brewers, this is not the time to be cheap. So, you know, let's maybe splurge a little bit and like kind of go for it. This is our window. It's okay to do it once in a while. If not now, when? So let's do it. Yeah, that's a great point, but I do have to say that Magoo's is closed. Well, it is, but I think it's like back, well, it was, I think, sort of back open in like a different location or something weird like that. I, 
like a slightly different name or something or a weird. different name or something. Yeah. The point is, yeah. if, okay. if you've got delicious wings that Scott has put his uh, stamp of approval on, you know, <laughs> you, they're, they're worth probably three you, times you as much. You can't splurge what... every night. You just can't. Yeah. But there's a time. There's a time to do it, and this is the brewer's time. I agree. You're, like, that gets me. You're, you're going to have to have your interns fact check that one, uh, Scott. I don't know, uh, but yeah, I get the point though. That, that does make some sense. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, no, I mean, as far as there's some really nice freighters still out there, but again, they're all going to require you know long contracts with big money, or most of them. Like obviously, Nick Castellanos is going to get more than what we're going to be willing to pay for him. Um, and now that we have Hunter Renfro, like where are we going to play him anyways? Um, obviously, Carlos Correa is going to go to a bigger market most likely and get like a ten-year, three hundred plus million contract. So we're out on that. Um, even Freddie Freeman is either going to go back to the Braves or sign with like the Yankees or someone that can totally outbid us. So where is that yeah. bus? Like you said, Scott, maybe like a Carl Kyle Schwarber, but I mean, is he even that much better than Rowdy Tellez? Uh, not enough to than what he'd probably cost. So pass on that. Uh, maybe like a. I just want a professional hitter, even if they're not that great at defense. Like I want somebody in this lineup that is feared by opposing pitchers. Because right now I don't know who that is, and like this this is still an offensive team that isn't very good and is still trying to find itself and still doesn't really have an identity. And uh, there's, there has to be changes made. Like you can't say uh, no matter how good your pitching is, no matter how good your defense is, if your offense is in the top 20, probably not going to win a world series. And that's the goal, right? Absolutely. I I do feel really feel like, Kristen Yelich and Kevin here are going to bounce back in a decent fashion. And one, um, both of them, I, I kind of think that, or at least of course, I would say I want to believe that, but I, re- I really feel that they're going to turn it around big time. And so that'll really help out. But with that being said, we just, it feels like we just need one major move to bring in, like you said, a professional hitter that th- this lineup is definitely lacking and so I guess I'll throw it on my Christmas wish list. It's kind of like a sleeper that's out there. And unfortunately, the former cop, but I'm just going to throw out like Anthony Rizzo. He just seems like someone that would maybe take a shorter deal. And he still is a professional hitter. Obviously, his best days are probably behind him. But adding a veteran like that um, could, I think, really help this team outside of trading for someone like a Matt Olson or a first baseman or a power hitting type player like that that's available via trade uh, i don't know who else would really be available via trade i know um you know we have you know obviously some and of course the dh is most likely coming so there should be some spots to play if we can add a hitter and i think that that's really our biggest need as a brewers and, and i guess that's that's the wish on the wish list for santa claus this year or santa stearns no that's a that's a good pick i i've always liked rizzo craig i think that he's great i um you know, I think he can play a really solid defense for you as well, which, you know, you're definitely not going to get quite as solid a, a defense from Telez or, you know, other options potentially. But, um, you know, it would kind of go along the lines of when we signed Ramos Ramirez. I think we got him for a three-year deal and he was a former Cub and, you know, spent many years wearing their uniform. But I still think that he was a great pickup for the Brewers for a few seasons at least. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's left-handed heading and he just is that – 
professional hitter gives you great bats, walks, and gets on base, and uh, really kind of extends rallies. So um, I think he'd be a good addition. But uh, you know, I think his he's definitely we would have to outbid some of our teams. That I think our teams would be interested in his services, especially once it it happens that the DH will be coming. I mean, there'll be even more jobs opened up and more people going to spend money on guys like him. So it wouldn't even be surprised if we miss out even on a player of his caliber. So. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but uh, moving right along here, I've, we've got a rapid nine here, and it's going to be regarding the the potentially new CBA that's, I guess, supposed to be being negotiated now. I don't know that any negotiations are actually taking place, but um, obviously both the owners <laughs> and the players association want certain things, and I don't. And the little fans want don't want certain things, don't want certain things. I guess we're all kind of more from the fan listeners from the fan perspective. So I'm going to throw out things that could go in the next CBA, the new CBA, and whether or not you are for those, these ideas against these ideas or, or depends. So, so we'll go around in rapid fashion. Remember that Scott rapid. You don't oh. No, And, and Scotty don't again, just I'd start to interrupt you, Craig, but Scott, when he says rapid nine, just take your time, make sure that you expound on all of your answers and, you know, really, really do a thorough job to make sure that the audience understands what, what the point is that you're trying to make. My, I think he means like, like, you know, obviously think rapidly, but then speak as, you know, and take as much time as needed. I think that's. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And if I understand this right. That, that's exactly right there. So there's the three of us. And did I hear that our uh, anonymous source, Tom Carter, is going to be joining us for this? No. And actually, I'm going to take Chad and Tom's time. So, you know, maybe sprinkle in an analogy to really drive the point home. Um, I have some good okay. ones about Magoo's and Benos. Oh, wait, I already used those. Ah, forget it. Yeah. Johnny, that's okay. I got a Johnny V's reference I can throw up. <laughs> Tom Carter loves that place. All right, our anonymous source. Go, let's go. All right, again. So, so the answers are you can just say, all right, I'm whether or not you're for having this in the new CBA, or if you're against having it, or if you're okay with it with stipulations. And that would be like the depends. I would like it in the CBA, but it depends on this or that. So, anyway, here we go. And it, by the way, Oh, Craig, Craig, I just want to throw it out before we start, because I want, I want the Rapid 9 to be as fast as possible, of course. But um, since we've already sworn this episode and I have to quit, I have to, like, check off the adult content box. Um, I mean, it's, it's already checked off, so you guys can, you know, of course, you know, just use whatever colorful language if it drives your point home or if it helps you illustrate, illustrate a point, you know, whatever you got to do. Right. You're in all, all of our busy. other previous Christmas episodes in the last... 16 years all have explicit content. I thought it did. Sorry about that. Whatever. <laughs> wow. Now what can you do? So, all right. First inning. Um, and we'll switch off who goes first. Uh, I guess, Scott, you can start this one off because your first name starts. Bat lead off. Here we go. Um, DH in both. Second bat. Would you like there to be the DH in both leagues in the next CBA? Would I like it? Are you for it? Are you for it against it or or depends? Um, personally, I would still actually like the pitchers to hit. 
um, in both leagues. But um, since that's obviously not going to happen, I'm okay with the DAH on both sides. I just think it helps. Like, otherwise, like when there's interleague play and there's like a World Series or something like that, like the the team that you know is is geared toward having that DH and has that depth is going to have a slight advantage. So, but yeah, I may as well just do it across the board. Vince, uh, I am against it. Um, as a purist, I, I would much rather have the pitchers hit um, in terms of how much it affects the game. But I will say this, if it's what it takes to get a new CBA done, then I'll be all for it. Yeah, pretty much in line with Vince, too, that I, I would love for it to – I like the difference in both the leagues. I like the fact that pitchers hit and, and the fact that it, it really kind of breaks my heart to think that there'll never be another double switch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean yeah. – Something like that, just kind of ridiculous. So I'm against it, but I also know that that, that this train has already left the station, and if it needs to be in there so baseball can be played on time for the 2022 season agreement, can be, I'll, I'll, I'll be for that, I guess. It's kind of like in the middle or the yeah. on, on my answer, I guess. But All right, seconding. Vince can lead this one off. Are you uh, – this one is would you – for, against, or on the fence for – Increasing league minimum salary for players. Uh, I guess I'd be for that. Um, both practically because I think it, it will help with the CBA, but also because I think that it will lead teams to spend more on players. Um, so no, I'd, I'd be, I'd be for that. Scott. Um. Yeah, I'm for it. Um, I mean, as contracts get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, um, it, it's just going to lead to like, there's at this point, there's just too much of a gap. And I just feel so bad for those players that have like three great years and then have a devastating injury and can't come back from it. Like those guys never get paid, unfortunately. So um, yeah. yeah, there needs to be, there needs to be a, a, a change there. It, and it should also be pointed out how little these guys make in the minor leagues. I mean, unless you get a big bonus as a draft, uh, you know, a certain draft exactly. spot, you're, you're, you're making little to nothing for, you know, three, four seasons in the minor leagues in some cases longer. Yeah. It, it always just shocks me how, how, how much the, the, like the minor leagues is just treated so shoddily by the major league baseball owners or whatnot. I know that they have already agreed, I think, to, um, to provide housing for, for players, which I was kind of shocked they didn't already do um going forward but i'm a, i'm gonna be with you guys that I, i'm all for having the increase of the minimum salary uh being the next agreement and, and these first two innings i actually think that these are two of the most likely things to actually almost be cemented in stone and being in there but we shall see so all right third inning scott back yeah. to you. um the implementation of a pitch clock Uh, sorry, cut out a pitch. What? The implementation clock? of pit, pitch clock to make. No, Dad <laughs> would have answered that different, but um, I would say uh, no, no, absolutely not. I, this is gonna lead me to an angry rant, but like, no, the whole beauty of baseball is that it doesn't, it doesn't have a timer, it doesn't have a clock, like. Technically, as long as you still have at best, as long as you still haven't made, you know, 
um, blast out, like you still have a chance. And that's the beauty of baseball. And you're like, uh, I don't want any of that in, in baseball. No. That's- totally agree with Scott. I, you know, I totally agree with Scott. I think that, uh, Boxer for football and basketball and other lesser sports. I don't understand why we would be changing the game to cater to a demographic that wants to see less baseball. I'm tired of it. Totally in agreement with you guys. I would be just, it's just um, not necessary. I don't want to sound like the angry guy yelling on a cloud or whatever it is, but like, um, no. I mean, there's plenty of football games that last three and a half hours and four hours. So no, there's no. Exactly. All right, fourth inning, Vince leads off. This one, um, permanently banning the shift, the defensive shift that's become very I'm opposed to I'm opposed I'm opposed to banning the shift. I think that uh offensive offensive players need to figure out a way to counter and beat the shift. They you can't just beat it by banning it. I think that um, you know, like other things throughout baseball history that have been used as defensive strategies, you need to figure out a, a way on offense then to counter and beat that strategy. So no, leave it on the field, let the players figure it out. It's entertaining. Scott. Um this might go to like toward that like sort of pace of play kind of a thing that, that they hate so much. But having said that, um I played for some really nice championship softball teams that We'd actually, when we take batting practice, oh here we go. Um, our last, um, our last pitch, we would try to hit it to opposite field as hard as we could because we thought it was so important to be able to beat the shift. And if you didn't practice doing it, you're not going to be able to do it. The whole strategy of the game is to get try to get people that are really good at doing one thing to do something different. And if you can't do that, then that's a strategy. That's part of the game. Like you can't take that away. Yeah, you guys both hit the nail on the head, and as far as my opinion goes, too, and I agree that yes. spanning the shift. All right, fifth inning, I think. Um, Scott, are you leading off again? Yeah, Scott leads off the fifth what? inning. Um, all right, implement limiting pickoff attempts. So again, quick in the game, limiting the no- absolutely not off throws. No way. Space. Huh? No, so the, the guy that we just traded with 80 speed, like if he throw over three times or whatever it happens to be, he could just go. Like, no, absolutely not. Um, like I said, same thing, part of the game, same argument, you know, just play back what I said 30 seconds ago. Yep, to- totally agree. Again, no, stop changing the game. It's part of strategy. Eventually, a pitcher will get tired of throwing over after he throws the ball away and the runner advances the second. I mean, that's, that's the counter to that, not banning something. I think it's ridiculous. <clears throat> All right. Those aren't pitches, but they still tax the pitcher's arm. They still weigh on them. You know, it leads to that. Um, you know, more pressure pitches, more throws over. You know, it taxes the arm. Anything you can do, it's strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with both of you guys on that one. That brings us to the sixth inning. Vince leading this one off. The implementation of the automating ball and strike calls, or the also known as robo umps. Uh, I'm opposed. I think that, uh, I think, you know, it's not just because it's the way it's been done in the past, but I really like the fact that there's the, uh, the potential for human error. Um, in fact, <laughs> I wish that they would limit instant replay. Um, I think that it's part of the game. It's, it's human. I think that there's something endearing about that. It can be frustrating. It can be for or against your team. It's, 
at the end of the day, it's going to be equal across the span of 162 games with calls going for and against you. Um, so, no, I, I think that you leave the human element in. I mean, I miss great managerial tirades and arguments uh, uh, as is because of the stupid instant replay, and it, which also, by the way, takes up way more time than any play on the field that they're talking about changing. So, no, I, I'm all for um, maintaining the human element to umpiring. That is very true, but you know, you know, it's weird. They don't talk about like limiting um, managerial arguing uh, as something that could increase or you know could uh, amp up the pace of play and lower the game time. I don't know why, because sometimes you see guys out there that they start hucking bases and you know arguing for five minutes. And um, I, I hate to say it, there is a strategy element there. I'm sure that people know, like, hey, this umpire, you know, he always calls the outside corner. He always calls the high strikes. Like, there is some strategy there. Having said that, um, I'm not concerned with human error, but I'm a little bit concerned about, like, human influence. I think that there's a little bit more, you know, distrust these days. And when you think about, like, you know, NBA referees that, you know, would throw games and things like that, like, I always think that anything that we can do to make it – um, I guess as fair as possible. Um, so I'd be okay with um, an automated strike zone, but when you roll it out, it damn sure better be right the first time because if you bought it, you're not you're going to set it back 20 years. Yeah. Remember instant replay in the NFL? Like the first time, it was like, oh wow, this is we're really screwing this up. And then they got rid of it, and then they brought it back, and like I don't want that. Get it right. They have instant. There's instant replay now in the NFL. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm kind of on the fence on this one. I think, really, as a purist, I, I want umps to be in there because I agree with Vance about just the human elements part of the, you know, part is part of the game. It should be. With that being said, like I just think the future is going so much more toward getting it right more so than that. And unfortunately, um, I, I think I wouldn't be 100% against if they went, uh, if, if you know, getting it actually right. Um, but yeah, so I'm on the fence. I guess I'm, I'd be fine either way. Which, but I'd prefer it to be left that left as it is. All right, Craig. So- what if getting it right, Craig? What if getting it right means not having to be perfect? <clears throat> yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, no, I mean just saying, like as a thought, like you know, this whole idea of like, oh, getting it right on every single call. I mean, yeah, okay, but part of it is. You know the bigger picture too. I I don't know. I, I, I know uh, yeah, no, I I agree. I, and part of it is I, I almost think that the current some of the current umpires, <clears throat> Angel Hernandez, Angel Hernandez, are are like keeping are like really making the push for this. Um, yeah, stick a little no, bit. No, I totally agree with terrible that. they are. Totally, I mean, totally and that's that's yeah, kind of totally on Major League Baseball for for allowing these these umps that are so terrible well, to keep going. Well, it's actually on the Major League Baseball's negotiating team because they agreed with the umpires' union that there's basically no way to fire an umpire. So, I mean, I think that That's that is also another part of these labor negotiations, perhaps not this year. I don't know when the umpires' contract is actually up, but um, the umpires' union protects their guys so well that it's impossible to fire them, even when they're egregiously bad, like in the case of you know Joe West or Angel Hernandez. So, you know, to me, that that would be one reform that could be made is having some sort of accountability. I mean, I like the fact that you can look at a, 
like an FTX track sheet that shows how many uh, balls and strikes an umpire got correct. And they're behind the dish. And I think that you could use those metrics as ways to um, enforce some sort of basic standards on umpires. And then you eliminate part of the problem just by doing that. No, that's a great suggestion, and unfortunately, this is the state of how things are now. But uh, so we'll see. It'll be interesting. It may it probably will be left out of the CBA. I'm, I'm guessing, but I really don't know. So, all right, seven things, Scott. I think you're leading off again. Right. So permanently implementing the runner on second and extra innings rule. Uh, I I am torn on this one because I don't like it. Um, but I also don't like when it's a Tuesday night and you go to the game and now all of a sudden it's 1030 at night and you really want to see the outcome of the game, but it goes into extras and you're like, I'm not going to be able to do this for, you know, a couple hours. Like at least then you know that it's going to end. I hate to say it. I'm okay with it. Um, they wore me down. They broke me, man. Okay with it. <laughs> Vince? Yeah, let me explain why Scott's wrong. The other thing, the other <laughs> no, thing about... No, I'm okay being wrong, honestly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, your point earlier about clocks is a good one. Uh, how baseball is the only sport without a clock, really. I mean, in, in many ways, at least. I, I think that another great part of baseball is that you have to earn your way on something has to happen. It's not just a given, you know, if, if you don't earn your way on with a hit, a fielder messes up and you earn your quote unquote, earn your way on by them messing up. So there's always a reason why you're on base rather, but right now it's, you know, just because, and you're just put in scoring position. And I think it, I, I think it, it, it really is basically unfair. I mean, in so many ways, I, I think it's unfair to the pitcher who's inheriting a runner on second. I think that it's, it's unfair when you look at today's game compared to other teams historically because there's an unfair competition i think that it's it's unfair in the sense that they try to pawn it off on fans as a covid measure i mean there's a lot of ridiculous things about this uh, whole idea to me but um and again i i know i'm a purist i also know that you know for me there's no place i'd rather be than watching a baseball game so i don't care if i'm there for another hour that really doesn't bother me whatsoever so you know but that's just me but i i i come back to the fundamental unfairness of starting uh, an inning with a runner on second base. I know both teams get to do it. I get all of it, but I just think that you have, you should have to earn your way on base one way or the other. Yeah, I, I'm on the fence on this one too. I'm kind of agreeing with both of you guys on your points. I mean, I was really against it going into last year, and and, and not that it won me over, but I, I guess if I'm going, if I'm negotiating a CBA and this is a hangout, this is not the hill I'm going to die on, so to speak. Um, just because I think that there are some good parts, the fact that you can almost guarantee that a game would probably end in the 10th, 11th, or 12th inning or something like that. Whereas back in the day, I mean, if all of a sudden, the, I remember in extra games that the Brewers would have like a leadoff double. I'm like, yeah, this is it. It's only the 13th inning and the Brewers are going to finally win this. And then they, they, of course, didn't get the runner. I'm like, well, we could be here for about five more innings. But as a baseball lover, I'm like, that's great, free baseball. But I can see where most – probably 95% of other fans are like, well, we'll go home and see how this one ended later or something, you know, so, um, or even people watching on television. So I can get how it can kind of wear people down, especially with how 
much pitchers have kind of taken over the game. Um, that's and even like mega great bullpens, so to speak, across baseball. I mean, you could really ha- have these games go like beyond 20 innings or something, which again to me is not bad, but I can see where there'd be some people against it and whatnot. So, again, I- I'm on the fence. I- I'd prefer them to keep it out of the rules, but if it has to be in there, then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be you know cry too much about it, I guess. So, all right, eighth inning, and I should point out that unfortunately we've got extra innings in this wrap and nine because just like the unfortunately CBA, just this the real CBA. I'm sure there's gonna go longer than what we expected. So anyway, as long as it goes, as long as our wrap and nine only goes to like the tenth or eleventh or twelfth, I think it'll be okay. Well, starting with the Starting out with question nine, I guess we'll start with that runner on second, Scott, so you can dip out if you need to. But anyway, um, <laughs> here we go. Vince leading off the eighth. Uh, four or against or on the fence for increased revenue sharing. I'm against. Well, I shouldn't say that. Let me put it this way. I think that um, I think that they should have definitely come to an agreement that, that looks at ways to increase things like the TV revenue, things that all MLB teams – put in i i i I hesitate to say yes fully without there also being a uh what is it called a a bottom cap essentially like a a team a mandatory minimum that teams have to spend i i I get really tired of big market teams funding the you know pirates and the marlins to not do anything i think that that's ridiculous you know if they if they're going to have increased revenue sharing they're going to have to have a ton of increased and more stringent regulations that uh that that mandate that teams spend that money a certain way. I, I just, I think that the Yankees and other big market teams, they have a point where they pay a ton of money to, you know, the pirates ownership group to literally just keep, I mean, they don't even have to invest it into their players. It's crazy. So, you know, any, any sort of revenue sharing, I would say I'm against and, until there's other reforms that are also in place. Scott. Um. There's a lot I agree with in there, but um, I'm going to say that I'm I am for revenue sharing, but I absolutely like. I think it should be a, uh, revenue sharing across the board. I think that it's parity. I think that there's there's already an inherent advantage from a marketing standpoint where people can get a lot of that secondary income by being in a big market, um, and I I think that 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 already incentivizes players to kind of gravitate toward those bigger markets. So I, I mean, in, in a perfect world, I would love to see more revenue sharing, but to Vince's point, there has to be accountability for those smaller markets. And um, those smaller markets are going to have to one way or another, um, if they do get any of that money, they have to invest it in, in their franchise one way or another. And I don't necessarily care how they do it, if it means buying prospects like Boston just did against us, no. <laughs> um, or if it's um, you know upgrading major league, minor league facilities, um, if it's hiring better coaches, like whatever you have to do, you can't just hoard it away because owners, even if you, even if you um, spend your payroll and like to the point where you lose money that season, every single year you are one of, you know, uh, what 30 teams in the world that, um, 
you know, that have this, this amazing product and every year those make more and more money. Like, I don't know what did Mark Antonio buy. I'm not going to have an intern check, but I'm sure that, um, Mark Antonio's investment, even if every year they just break even and didn't make any money, the franchise itself is probably worth what double or triple what it was when he bought it. And he didn't buy it all that long it's, ago. It's so worth about a billion dollars now, I believe. Which is like, and what did he buy it for? Like 300 some? 370, 350 million, I think. Yeah. So it's having said that, triple. owners make plenty of money and, um, like there's no reason for a small market to be cheap to the point where, you know, they're, they're having like 30, $50 million payrolls, like put it somewhere. I don't care how you do it, but you can't hoard it away and you can't keep it. Like there has to be some rules in place for that. But, um, but if that's done, let's, let's revenue share all we can. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, Great points from both of you guys and very well explained. Um, I'm going to make mine quick. Uh, I might not share the same communist philosophy with Scott, but I, I do uh, believe in the increased revenue sharing. So I'm for it. Um, ninth inning, Scott, you're leading this one. Yeah. Um, imposing a salary cap floor. Um, uh, see, that's tricky because I just got done saying how we need to have things in place to be able, so they can't put away the money. But I mean, you don't want to just go out there and start throwing money at Jeffrey Hammond and then sending the team back further. You know what I mean? So you have to be able to spend it right. You shouldn't have to spend it just to spend it on players, but you should have to spend it just to spend it. If it's, it wasn't even your money, right? You have to do the best to, you know, to make, make your facilities better, like make, Make your minor leagues better. Like, do whatever you got to do. But um, throwing it at, like, um, you know, a couple players that it's going to make your 60-win team win 65 games is kind of pointless. Like, that, that's – the whole point of this, I think, is, is parity. And if your team is bad, you don't have to tank to be able to be able to quickly – uh, get out of that hole. Like, I don't want it where people have to, like where a franchise has to spend, you know, five years in the cellar to be able to, you know, build up the prospects and come back. Like maybe they have to use that, you know, that money to buy those prospects, you know, um, whatever you got to do. Vince. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So if there is, I think that it, it has to be done with a level of fairness, you know, in the sense that I, I don't think, that, you know, mandating a, a minimum is going to solve all your problems. I mean, if you're a team that doesn't draw many fans like Tampa um, or you don't have a huge, you know, ownership group backing you with the resources of other teams like in Pittsburgh, I don't know how you mandate a certain minimum. So I guess you could do one, but you could do it as like a percentage of the value of the franchise. I mean, you'd really have to get into some level of, of granularity and like how to do it. So it sounds good in theory, but I, I, I don't know you, if you do you know, make it again, the value of the franchise a percentage of that, or um, a value of your profits from the year before, because if that's the case, then some teams are not going to have any profits um, to show for. So I, I don't know how you would measure that. Um, so in theory, yeah, it sounds, sounds great. In practicality, I'd have to really kind of think through how that would actually work. 
Yeah, very interesting. Um, I, I'm pretty much against it for kind of some of the reasons Scott pointed out where, like, you can't just be forced to spend. You, you may be able to actually put together a team that's competitive, almost like the Rays do uh, for a lower amount of money and not have, you know, and just to, let's just say the, the Rays were under the salary cap floor or whatever it might be set at. And just to, you know, let our listeners know, I think that the Bears Association actually thrown out an idea of like a hundred million dollar salary cap floor, which I think is, you know, around uh, the vicinity of what the Brewers usually, you know, have their, their uh, budget at, so to speak. And so again, if, if let's say you put together a great team, then you look and you're like, Oh, we're actually still $20 million short of the salary cap floor. We're going to have to spend that somewhere. And it would, you know, cause, you know, just to sign a Jeffrey Hammonds or Jackie Bradley jr. For really no reason other than just to give this player money. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, so I can see why the players thought now should be for it because their players would get paid more, but no, I, I don't think it should happen. So, all right, so here we go on to Nate, guys. Right now, one one quick stat that uh, the intern just handed me because she said Scott isn't available. 14 of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball uh, were under $100 million in payroll last year. Wow, interesting. Um, it would be nice if, like, I mean, on one hand, if, if the Rays win 100 games and they have a payroll of $50 million, they shouldn't be punished for that. They won 100 games. Like, great job, guys. You beat the system like you but, you did it yeah but, but at the same the race, time yeah. can't pocket it and so maybe that money goes back to mlb to be redistributed among like communities or maybe you know like there's a a myriad of other things that we can do with it but i just don't want a greedy owner being like hey we're going to be cheap and um you know if we happen to win 100 games awesome and if we don't i'm going to make an extra 20 million a year either way that's, I think that's what everybody is trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the record, the Rays last year had a $43 million payroll, uh, just, just north of 43 million. Right. And, then, and, and, they, and they easily won the, uh, the AL East, right? Pretty handily. So, I mean, right. pretty. So that, that to me right there shows that it shouldn't be a, you know, it shouldn't be a necessity to have that floor. So anyway, all right, going on tenth thing. No, remember, guys, there is a runner on second. <laughs> uh, it's still <laughs> one, and those were the rules. So that means just uh, maybe quicken your answers a little bit. But anyway, uh, Vince leading us off. Uh, we did the salary floor. Well, now we're going to say, uh, you know, football has this. Would you impose a salary cap? No, no. I, th- I think you just let the market do what it's supposed to do. I mean, if you if you have an artificial cap, to me that is just going to create more labor problems down the road. I mean, we're, we're at the point where, you know, we're in the middle of a lockout guys. We can't really afford to have this type of acrimony with the players union. I think that you let the market play out. Um, you're always going to have your big spenders. The Yankees and the Dodgers are always going to find a way to spend more money than the brewers and the pirates. I get it. It's frustrating as brewer fans, but um, you know, there's other ways that you can kind of look at combating that. I think that, you know, we talked a little bit about it with these increased TV deals. One, one thing that we do know is, is that, with no baseball being played, it's kind of irrelevant anyways. So, you know, to me, um, the more that we can do things that all the teams in the league are able to benefit from, like the TV deals, uh, like some of the marketing things that have been taking place the last couple of years, like, you know, a few of the other initiatives that they've come up with. I think that 
those types of things are going to be what lead to teams like the Brewers and the Pirates and the Indians being able to spend more money. Um, I don't think it's going to be because of the salary cap uh, prohibiting teams from being able to spend. And the union, the union is never going to agree to that, ever. Yeah. This is a tricky one because who wants a salary cap? Do the uh, do the owners want it? No. Do the players want it? No. Um, I, I don't think either side wants it. If I'm being honest, like I, I don't know. Am I wrong on that? I should say that before I even go any further. Like, well, does anyone want people to? Well, the only people that seem to talk about it a lot are, are fans of the small market teams. And I, I, I get it. I am a fan of a small market team. But I also know that the Brewers have an owner that's worth a lot of money that he chooses to invest or not into the product on the field. I mean, and that's his prerogative. He owns the team. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know that creating a way for him to save more money is really addressing the problem or even if there is a problem. I, I just – you know, again, I think that finding ways to pool resources in Major League Baseball where all teams are gaining a slice of the pie then creates opportunities for teams to spend more money. But, um, you know, sometimes it just comes down to an owner being cheap. I mean, we saw that with the Marlins for years where Jeffrey Loria had more money than a ton of the other owners, including the Steinbrenners, and still didn't spend money on his product. Um, so, anyways, just throwing that out there. Yeah, I, I'm 100% against the salary cap. I mean, I think this is the the problems that are caused by the set by not having a salary cap. I think can be fixed by revenue sharing. So, I mean, just an example: the Los Angeles Dodgers have a ridiculous TV contract, uh, which brings in tons and tons of money for their franchise, and and they can basically spell spend like drunken sailors on free agency or whatever, and not and really just buy the best team in baseball. If they and even the Yankees for that matter. Um, but with that being said, I, you know, I don't think that there should be a cap. I, I just don't, I think that would be bad for the players and the owners and everyone. But, um, that's, I think revenue sharing is necessary because a small market team like the Brewers cannot even hold a candle to the to the, uh, TV contract that the Dodgers or someone like that can do. And so it's just an uneven playing field otherwise, but, I just think it'd be wrong to have a salary cap for, for a multitude of reasons though. So, all right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think okay. to answer the question, I suppose like just to give a, a concrete stance on it for me anyway, I, I would say that um, the goal of a, of a salary cap would be parity. And I think that there's better ways to address that. So while I want the same goal as everyone else and to have that parity, um, I, I don't think a salary cap is necessary to do that. Now, if you want to set an exorbitantly high salary cap so that, um, you know, a team doesn't go out and spend $300 million, um, so be it, I guess. But if there's revenue sharing, that problem has already solved itself. So I would, I would, I would look at other avenues. Yep. All right. 11th inning. Um, again, run around second. Let's make this quick. Allowing draft picks to be traded. And, and take your time, Scott. Oh, man, this is a rough one. We could talk about this for 20 minutes. 30 minutes if I had a few more beers in me. But um, <laughs> I, I don't like it. And I, 
the reason why I don't like it is because I feel that it gives so much more control to, let's say, a GM or a manager that maybe is feeling the heat. Maybe they're on the hot seat. I, it gives them the opportunity to set your franchise back multiple years. So if you said something like, um, yeah, you could trade picks, but you can only like you can only trade it that year and you can't trade future picks or something like that. Um, I wouldn't be completely against it. Um, but I, I think that that allows teams, if you think about it, it would allow teams instead of tanking, you could trade those players for picks and reload. So um, I think that you could do it, but maybe only like one year in advance. I, I would put some kind of limitation like that on it. And I think that it would allow, um, it would allow teams, again, that uh, they don't have to tank, they can reload. You know? So I would do that. So I'm okay with it, but only, only like a year out. Same year only. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you can look at it maybe a little bit differently. Like, why not? Right now, there's a, a, a duration of time where you cannot trade uh, someone that you drafted. Craig, you, you're the expert. You and Brandon uh, Mueller are the experts on this. But what is it, six months right now? You can't trade a guy after you draft. It, used to, it used to be a year, but then it's actually like the trade Turner rule now because they try to trade uh, trade the Padres, I believe, drafted, but then tra- traded trade Turner to the National. Yeah. Technically, I think six months into after, but they were allowed to. So they just let them be the player to be named later as a loophole or something like that until they were able mm-hmm. to. So after that, they changed it. I believe it is six months now or something along those lines. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I like the idea of maybe not being able to do it in advance, but I think that you should be allowed to trade guys even within that six months. I think that that would be fair. Um, so I'd, I'd eliminate that six month duration I, as far as being able to do it in advance and, you know, saying, Oh, in the 2023 draft, I'm, I'm going to give you my first two picks or whatever. I, you know, I, I guess I, I, I don't really know why you shouldn't be able to. Um, I think though, as a baby step, I would say you could eliminate the six month thing to start and see how that goes. Yeah. Scott, you made some great points as far as it's like, you know, when you're a GM and you're not really worried about the future, it's, it's like a gambler going in and being like, well, this is all the money I've got left. So I might as well push it all in and I'll cash in all the trips. And then once I'm broke, I'll have uh, you know, my wife and kids deal with that later or something. It, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, and so I'm on the fence with this one though, too, because all the other sports do a lot loud trading of their of draft picks. Uh, football is the one where it, it's done the best. But on the flip side of that, the NBA only has a two-round draft, but their trading of draft picks has gotten beyond ridiculous. I mean, there's trades that are happening um, where people are trading like three to six first-round draft picks that are going up to like six years in the future or something like that. And not only that, but some of them have stipulations like I'll trade you a first round pick, but it's like top 10 protected or something like that, which means if it, if it, if it falls in the top 10 in the future, then you don't get the pick, you get a different one. And there's, it's just, it's almost impossible to keep track of as a fan. And it's just a joke. I mean, the NBA is a joke to begin with, but their trading of picks has gotten out of control. And I'd be worried that the baseball would, 
the baseball draft is, I think, the most important draft of any other sport. And the way that it's been run um, and how important it is to small market teams and those teams picking at the top is way more important than most other sports, uh, in my opinion. But it's also more difficult. And those other sports, it's really – a lot of those, those players are coming directly from college uh, right in the, the starting lineup for the next year in football – and even in, even in the NBA, a lot of these teams have an, or these players have an immediate impact. With baseball, it's in the baseball draft and the whole um, farm system process. Like it's it's way way different. I mean, these guys that you draft, you don't see actually make an impact on your team from anywhere from you know at the minimum like two years to like four years on average or something like that. So you're really able as a GM trying to you know run your most current team. You're really just able to sacrifice like scott pointed out your a good portion of your future franchise um if you're gonna spend like a you know really foolishly by trading these picks and i think it does allow for these big market teams to swoop in and be like well we've got this you know we can uh you know trade like all of our draft picks for a high draft pick um because we really only need one guy they'll become a superstar and we don't care about the rest of this crap. Cause we can just buy free agents to fill in all those other holes. Cause that's what we do as a big market team. So there's a whole bunch of more issues with it. I think that the ship will have, will have, it will happen at some point um, in the future that trade picks will be allowed by. I just don't think it will be in this CBA and I don't think it should be. So I guess that's my stance on it. So, um, all right, moving on to the 12th inning. Um, so this is one that's actually been thrown out there. That was a really great point, by the way, Craig. Like that, oh. the lead time that you're talking about where, you know, in baseball, like you, your average lead time might be, you know, for an impact player, it might be, you know, three, four years, but like NFL is like a year. Like I, I think that's kind of the crux of, of the area. Like that's, it's, it's two totally different sports and I, I, I totally get it. That was a great point. That's all I'm saying. Well, thanks. It's the same thing. <laughs> Same thing with, with, with you with you suggesting that you can only trade one season advance. I think when they do eventually implement it, there'll be some kind of stipulations. And in fact, fans will probably already know that um, the only draft picks that are currently tradable are the competitive balance draft picks. And uh, Stearns has actually traded a few, of, a few of the brewers already. So I think that if it's allowed, it could open up this ridiculous can of worms where people are just trading all over the place um, and, and whether or not what, what effect it would have on small market versus big market teams. You just don't know, but I think it really needs to be studied and, and, and the, it needs to be handled the proper way. And I don't think, I don't think they're at the point of implementing it correctly right now. It, um, so, all right. 12th inning leading off is Vince. This has already been talked about, but obviously now uh, coming in as a rookie through the minor leagues, once you uh, you're six years of service time. You become a free agent right now. There's been some talk that the players association want that trimmed to five years. So after five years of service time that you'd become a free agent instead of six, are you guys uh, for against or on the fence for that one? Uh, I'm okay with that. I think that's going to be in a very pragmatic sense. I think that that's going to be one of the concessions that is made or that is made by the teams. Um, I could see five. I wouldn't go below five. I think that five is, is still long enough where teams can get some value. I also do to couple or to go with that. I think that there is um, an even better proposal out there though, that I think, you know, kind of looks at the age 
limit. So you don't have guys that are kept in the minor leagues and see, you know, Chris Bryant's example with the Cubs where he was kind of artificially kept down, even though he was clearly ready for, for the big leagues uh, just to retain an extra year of service time. So I would prefer that that's the answer, but um, if they do continue with the year system, I, I'd say five years is, is fine. Wow. That was a really great answer. Like <laughs> I just, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I just think like that, um, I, I think it, I think it's in the best interest of everyone to be able to have the best product on the field whenever they can. And, um, I think that the current setup, uh, makes it so it doesn't always happen. Um, I would prefer to see the age thing. Um, and the only thing I'm worried about is that like, we've already seen this trend now where um, small markets have to, well, everybody can gamble essentially and buy those years of free agency. Like we've seen that forever now, I suppose, but uh, especially in the last, you know, 10 years, but um, you do that. It's a lot bigger risk for a smaller market to do that. And I guess that's, that's the only thing that I'm worried about is I feel like uh, potentially it, it could still give even more advantage to um, to bigger markets because they could buy out those recent years and keep control. And sure, sometimes they'll lose on it. But, um, you know, I'm sure when they run the numbers, like uh, control is everything. And uh, um, that's the only thing I'm worried about. So because it takes so long for these guys to develop, I would actually, I would actually prefer the six-year thing, but I, I'm not like, like you said earlier, Craig. It's not a hill I'm gonna, I'm willing to die on. Yeah. So you guys both both made great points. Um, I'm I'm against it, um, but I, I I do I am sensitive to the fact that these players do need to not be manipulated. Their service time cannot be manipulated like it has been. So something needs to be put in place to stop that ridiculousness. Like Vince pointed out with Chris Bryan and it's done to pretty much everyone uh, that's got any potential. Um, But with that being said, I I think that having that one less year of service time before becoming a free agent really kills small market teams. Like just as an example, if you want to use carbon burns, if this were to be in place, the brewers, the Brewers saw three more years of control over Corbin Burns, and we just saw the contract that Max Scherzer signed with an average annual value of like $43 million, which is ridiculous. Corbin Burns is like 10 years younger than Scherzer, um, and he is probably valued at least that much this year, and the Brewers are getting him for – it would be under – I'm sure his arbitration number will come in like between 4 and $6 million or something like that. And that's to me is a little bit ridiculous. So, um, but the Brewers could have also locked him up to a long-term deal when he was bad and got him for next to nothing too. I mean, we could have signed yeah, him. Yeah, like, and, and that's like the Freddie Peralta like, example when we were like the Freddie Peralta example. Yep. And, and we probably saw that we could put him back as a starter and, and make some value, make him even more valuable, which is what happened. But we signed a nice longer-term deal and bought out his RV years and then some, and I think two additional. Uh, with a now we have them that rolled sheep, so that but, um, with that being said, that sixth year or, or, or would be three years from now, Burns 
is going to be really valuable to the Milwaukee Brewers. And if you were a free agent and said, he'd probably be a New York Yankee that season. So as you can see, the most valuable Corbin Burns after develop, drafting them, developing the minor leagues, and then having to see him go in a free agency a year early, uh, I think is going to really hurt small market teams that draft well and that can't afford those big, big time players. And, and so that, that's why I'm against it. However, my way of fixing it would be then to have the arbitration numbers be higher and possibly a season earlier. So the, the first three seasons of their service time, they're not arbitration eligible yet. My way of fixing it would be leave it, leave it at six years of control, quote unquote control, but have there be more than three RB years. So there, I would be even fine with four or five RB years. So I think anything beyond their their full first year of service time, rookie season plus, where they get paid the league minimum, after that they should get a huge increase in pay, in my opinion. Um, again, based off of performance, and again that would be mostly decided by an uh, you know impartial uh, arbiter, what like it is now. And and a lot of people are against that system and think there's flaws in it. They use the old time stats rather than the new war, this or that or whatever. And again, that could change and there could be some implications in that. But um, I really think that that's the way to go rather than cut out a whole year of service time. Um, and that's how I'd fix it. But so I guess I'm, I'm against changing it from six to five. And we can talk on the next inning. We can talk a little bit about um, some something else that Vince just pointed out. So uh, here we go with the 13th inning, Scott leading off. So. The other thing that's already been thrown out there by the, oh, actually by the owners as a counter to that one is that they, instead of having years of service time, that they, they'd say that the, whenever a player reaches the age of 29.5 years old, that after the next season, they're a free, free agent. So are you, are you for or against that as a kind of conversely to the six year of service time control? Hey, Craig, you cut out there for a second. Can you repeat the question quick? Sorry. Um, yeah, so w w are you in favor of instead free agency happening as soon as a player reaches the age of 29.5 years old? Oh, I see. Um, I, you know, the, the age I think is a little bit more fairer in all, in all honesty, but um, you know, again, in the Brewers case, that would have meant that you would never have had the time to, you know, really put into developing Corbin Burns. You would have rushed him back even when he was really struggling in 2019. So I, I can see both ways on this. I'm undecided on this one. I'd have to really think through it. Um, I think there's some benefits. I, to me, the five years is, is a good compromise. You know, you, you give the players a little bit of something extra. Um, but I, again, I, I really go back to that Chris Bryant example where you've got teams that are very clearly abusing the process. Um, who are keeping guys down in the minor leagues that definitely shouldn't be in the minor leagues. Um, so, you know, I, I think that both sides could could be justified in, you know, being upset with the current system. Um, you know, that being said, overall, I mean, outside of a few star players, though, the game is skewing younger. You know, you're not finding as many veteran guys only because they become more expensive. So you you really, I can really see all sides of this one. So I, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to step back and, and, Listen to some wisdom on this topic. I don't. I don't know yet. <laughs> what are you going to do to listen to some wisdom? We don't have another podcast to listen to. No, no I'm going to turn it. Come on. I'm going to listen to that Lockdown Brewers podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I did see that there's a lot of good podcasts that, especially like on uh, Brewer Fan. I actually really do love those guys. Like they, the people at Brewer Fan at Matt, like I say what you want about them. Some people are like, oh, they're a little snarky, like uh, that kind of stuff. Like by and large, um, they're some of the most knowledgeable baseball fans, not just Brewer fans, but baseball fans. So I, I am going to give them a little bit of credit there. But um, th- this is this is a difficult question and the first thing that i can think of is um wouldn't you start looking at international talent that you could sign at like 16 17 18 years and you're going to have control of them for um you know a much longer versus like a more polished you know fresh out of college player who's already kind of proven himself like i could see there being some things there i could see players or um franchises kind of um holding back somebody by saying um Again, like, like like the example that I used before, like, oh, well, if this person, if this person, if we play them every day, our team will be three wins better. <laughs> but that's only going to move us from, you know, 65 to 68 wins. So we're not really interested in doing that. So, you know, we're going to kind of hold them back a little bit, um, keep them on that short leash and, and be able to kind of keep control of it. Um, it it's a rough one. I think the whole point of all of this is that the franchises that take the time to draft these players, they believe in those players, they develop those players, they want to be able to reap the benefits. And I think that's always like, you know, the magic years, what the age 27 season. So like, I like the idea of them being able to hang on to them a little bit. Um, but having said that, there's so many loopholes and so many things. There's a lot. There's a lot that we'd have to clean up to be able to accomplish that. So it's one of those things that um, I I love it in theory, but I just feel like in practice it's not going to work. Um, there's a lot of things that you'd have to clean up. Um, so it's a tough answer. I don't know. Did I even answer it? Not really. I'm sorry. Everyone. You did great, Zach. You did great. <laughs> That's your entire philosophy on life, guys. Not actually answering any question. That's brilliant, actually. My entire philosophy on life. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> That's like to be like a presser I send out every month. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I, I'm gonna say that I'm I, I'm against it. Um. Mostly. Because, okay, so first of all, look at other, the other leagues that I already mentioned, the NFL and the NBA. Every single one of the players drafted in those leagues are, come, are drafted out of college. Um, okay, so in the Major League Baseball, players are drafted from either college or high school. Though, and a lot of them drafted as college juniors. Uh, and so that's a three-year difference than the high school seniors that are drafted. So right there, um, if you start your minor league development at the age of 18, as opposed to 21 or 22 or whatnot, um, how are you, so you're going to be basically tied for that organization for 11 years, whereas someone drafted out college is only going to be dra- um, tied to the organization for uh, eight or seven or eight years or whatever. So right there, there's no fairness to that. I mean, what happens if you're uh, if you're an 18 year old that makes by the time you're 20, whereas yeah, but the fairness the fairness comes in knowing that when you draft the guys too, though, right? I mean, you know what you're getting when you draft somebody out of college versus high school. 
Yeah. So I think I think it would just have a seismic shift in the philosophy of drafting, um, where people are like I'm gonna I'm gonna draft these guys before they go to college, so we can develop them ourselves and get into the major leagues major leagues more quickly. So that means it's I mean, what's what would have a ripple effect where like a lot of these guys would like would never even make it to college. They'd all get drafted. Anyone with any form of talent would get drafted directly out of high school and kind of on a more accelerated path to the major leagues. And maybe that's what they ultimately want. But I think every college baseball program in the United States would kind of be screaming like, no, you know, but it does happen in the other sports. So it's something that could be a possibility, but um, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that that's the right way to go. I think it should still be based off of service time because then you have the flip side of that where you have a guy that was like career minor leaguer and he finally, you know, makes it um, to the major leagues kind of later in their twenties then you're only going to control them for one or two se- like one to three seasons uh, before they become a free agent, even though that you kind of stuck with them for so long as they were developing the Meyer league and it just took them longer. I think you should be rewarded more as an organization for having a faith in a player like that and giving him more time to actually come into his own rather than having to lose them right away, just because he, he reaches a certain age. So I don't, there's, there's many reasons why this, I don't think, and again, it was proposed by the owners, and I, I think they're trying to sell it as like, hey, that way, you know, you're starting to complain that some of these guys are, are over the age of 30 before they become free agents. Well, let's just set it all at 29.5. Everyone becomes a free agent at that point. Um, but like you guys did point out, there are some benefits where you could potentially keep a player longer on a small market team before hitting free agent. See, if indeed, you know, they make it to the major leagues by the time they're 21 years old, you really will get like up to eight seasons of that player. But again, I almost think that's unfair then to the player unless the arbitration um, is in place to actually pay them what the, what what they are are worth, so to speak. So I think that's the biggest take out of the last two innings of the of this crazy rapid nine is the fact that um, that really players need to start to be played paid at a younger age on, on more of what they're valued worth um, than what is in the current system for sure. So. All right, let's let's get to the last inning here. Um, this was a inch of the fourteenth inning. I forget who's leading. Oh, hey Craig, I, I was gonna throw out some random weird thing that makes no sense, but um, I you could almost do something where you almost have like two separate drafts where um, if you want to declare at age eighteen, like we don't take anyone younger than eighteen. And so, you know, we have to kind of fact check that, you know, make sure everyone coming from everywhere is, is actually 18 years old. And maybe if you declare there, you get drafted, you like your deal, you could potentially there have like a, you know, a six or a seven year commitment or something like that. But then if they decide to go to college or something, um, you could potentially at that point, would be your only opportunity to sort of re-enter the draft and then you could become more polished, but then the team only has control for like five years. I don't know. I mean, there's a billion ways that you could do it, but it's just one random way that I thought of throwing it out there. But there's a lot of potential for a lot of things there. But again, I think the main goal is just like the team that drafts you and the team that helps you develop to become the player that you are, like should be able to hopefully reap the benefits of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do the last inning. Uh, who wants to lead this one off? I don't know whose turn it is anymore. Oh, I will. I'm odd, so whatever that is. 
Oh, okay. God, don't say that. Four, this is 14th. Okay. 14th in the final inning. <laughs> We're going to walk this one off. Um, ex- Finally. Expanded put a guy off. in third. Defense <laughs> <laughs> expanded playoffs. I'm against it. I mean, we talked about it. I, I think that it's becoming diluted, at, at least in the the 2020 format it, it certainly was I, I guess i'm okay with maintaining the current 2021 format where you've got the two wild cards i am definitely opposed to what's been discussed in terms of uh, expanding the playoffs to like 14 teams or 16 teams or something crazy i think that that's incredibly stupid um i get that it's a revenue booster i get that you know more cities are in it but really what can it possibly mean to be a playoff team after a few years of that i mean it it seems like if you don't make the playoffs, it's kind of an embarrassment. And I, I would really caution Major League Baseball from following the NBA model of uh, both salary caps and and playoff structure models and all these things that they do and, and draft uh, shenanigans. I just I think that Major League Baseball should just be its own thing and, and, and make sure that if you're a playoff team that you've earned something that's special rather than just, you know, it just being a de facto thing for everybody. But, you know, Pittsburgh every season. Scott? Yeah, I um, I, I don't want to expand it. I don't want to dilute the pool. I think that making the playoffs is special. I think it's something that, um, you know, people remember, and it's, and it's exciting stuff, and it should mean something. I mean, they play a grueling 162-game season, and I don't think that, like, if you – I mean, if you expand it anymore, you're basically saying – Hey, good job, guys. If you win half the time, you're going to make the playoffs. Great job. You did it. You know, and like nobody wants teams with losing records to make the playoffs. And like everybody wants, you know, we want people to kind of feel like they're in it, like as long as they can and and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, you're just diluting the value. Um, Nobody wants anyone to win the World Series with a losing record. You can't, you can't have it. So, um, Let's continue to make it special. Yeah, like I think in in 2020, the crazy pandemic year and season, um, didn't the, one of the f- playoff teams, weren't they like right at 500 or something like that? I don't, or I don't think anyone was under 500. but with, uh, The Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers were, they were right at, were they right over 500 or right under? I forget. We had a losing record. Okay, Scott, thanks for remembering that. That's embarrassing. Um, yeah, so that cannot happen. Like you, you guys both pointed out, I'm totally against this. Um, and this scares the crap out of me as a baseball fan that this is going to be, we're going to become a diluted. The, the, the best thing about the regular season or about baseball is the ridiculously long 162 game regular season that actually has meaning that has an exciting trade deadline, has an exciting playoff race, pennant chases. And it's always been this way. And back in the day when, like when we were kids or when we were younger, like the, the fact that uh, back, you know, back then there used to be what I think only the two division winners in each league met each other in the championship series. And then there was a world series. So you, you, that wasn't that long ago that there were only four total teams making the playoffs. They've already, they've, since then, they've expanded divisions to three in each league. All the division winners make it. Then they added one wild card. Okay, so they went from four playoff teams to six playoff teams. 
then to the wild card that was eight. Now two wild cards brought to 10, which I think, quite honestly, I think it's perfect how it is now. 10 playoff teams is perfect. And now you want to jump all the way from 14. So you're talking about going from four playoff teams to like a couple decades later to have 14 playoff teams. Uh, that's just ridiculous to me. And you're going to have, like you said, you're going to have teams under 500 knocking off, um, you know, one of the best teams in the league in a, in a three game series. Uh, it just happened to be that they had to play it on the road and anything can happen in a three game series in baseball. I'm sorry. I mean, starting pitching, uh, you know, a lucky hit, a lucky bounce there, or whatever. Anything can happen in a three-game series. You lose that first game, your your backs are against the wall already for for two games. It's totally ridiculous, and I'm really, really against the 14-game playoff format, as uh, we've already been pretty clear, all three of us. But, and I want it to stay at 10, and it sounds like you guys do, so let's be clear about that. But it just seems like this is a train that's maybe left the station. It really seems like it's the number I- thing the owners want in the CBA the most of these changes are really going to benefit the players association, the players that it almost feels like that's the bone that the players are saying is going to have to throw at the owners in order to make this thing happen. And it really bothers me because so I guess in my heart of hearts, I really just want there, if there's going to be an expanded playoffs, which is it just seems like there's going to be, I don't want it to be 14 teams. I, I could, possibly stomach 12 teams. I don't know how they'd make that all work, but possibly 12 total teams, six in each league, but God, not seven in each league. It's just too much. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's going to have a ripple effect on a bunch of other things that are true and dear to baseball over the years, including like a pretty exciting trade deadline. Um, And what they're going to find is when so many teams make the playoffs, there's going to be less activity because they're, they're not going to want to sell out all for one year. They're going to be like, well, we can, we can be one of the seven teams in our league to make it next year. So we'll just kind of stand pat and we're not going to trade our prospects and we're not going to do this. or we're not going to do that to go for it because we might get lucky or whatever. And so that all conversely affect the teams at the very bottom too, uh, that are, that are trying to improve and to, you know, by, by being able to trade away, they're good, you know, um, veteran players for prospects. So there'll be a lot less activity on the trade market. And I think it's going to make, it's going to have a really negative ripple effect on baseball and the, the Rob Manford and the owners are not looking at that part of it. They're looking at, Oh, there's a little bit more playoff revenue money for everyone. We love that. Yeah. There's more money in our pockets. Great. It's a short-term fix and it's really short-sighted and it really pisses me off. So there, I guess. That's yeah, we should go. I, I would actually not be in favor of keeping the curtain. I would actually limit the amount of teams. I mean, I didn't even like the second wild card. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would, I would have less teams in the playoffs overall. Yeah. So I really, I hope they keep it at ten. But do you really feel that there's any way this CBA is going to happen with it staying at ten? I just don't think it's going to. Yeah, yeah. It bothers me. I mean, I think it could, except both sides seem to want that. You know, like both the players and the owners benefit from expanded playoffs. So the the people that get hurt in that are the diehards, the fans, the the, the purists. So I think that that's unfortunately who's going to get screwed in this CBA one way or the other. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I I don't know. If there was more revenue sharing or, or something like that, I think that maybe um, that's something that owners would care about a little bit less. But um, I, I just... I don't know. I mean, as bad as the whole, you know, four teams, just four teams make it, um, you know, having half, half, 
half your league make it um, is is just as bad, if not worse. So there has to be Way like worse. kind of sort of that Way happy worse. medium, and you have to find it. We already, I mean, you could argue we already have it. So we, I mean, I don't understand the need to change like everything, even very fundamental things about the game. Makes no sense. But you've got a commissioner. It seems to me that the. I'm sorry to interrupt, Vince, but it just seems like the people that are leading these negotiations, Manford and Clark, are not really, they're focusing on the short term and not really looking about the possible thing. You know, you make this change and it's going to have an effect on all these other things. And it's like a balance. And I really feel like baseball has always done a really good job with this balance and all these exciting things that happen, um, like the trade deadline, like the pan chases could completely go out the window with a stupid move like this. And uh, obviously we're all pretty adamant against it, but it really upsets me that I don't really see a path to this agreement happening and therefore baseball happening again without some form of expansion. So I guess in my heart of hearts, I hope that they at least don't expand it to 14 that they somehow keep it at at least 12. And, And I really hope the players association fights for that, even though I don't have any faith that they will. So, so I'm, I'm with you, Craig. I think that we're all pretty united on this one. I, I would be curious. Uh, it sounds like uh, Chad and, uh, and, and TC or Tom Carter are, are with us on this one as well. I'd be interested to hear some uh, fan feedback and comments. I think that was our last inning, but um, I'll just take this opportunity to, to uh, remind our, our fans who are still listening to this long podcast uh, to send us <laughs> any questions or commentary on uh, our, or our rapid nine here tonight or rapid 15 or whatever it's been brew crew review podcast with an S at gmail.com is our email address. Uh, Scotty and his interns like Santa and his elves are, are going through that email and uh, we will be able to get to some of those on the air on one of our next episodes as we are uh, like all of you just waiting for any sort of activity to take place during this long interval uh, during the CBA negotiations and the lockout. Um, so we should get to those next episode and give us a follow on Twitter, uh, Brook Review One on Twitter. Absolutely, perfect plug. Stay classy, Rob Manford. Stay- wait, wait, we're done. I thought I was. Well, I, wait, did I already answer this question? Oh. I just did the outro, Scott. <laughs> I just did the oh. outro like they taught us in journalism school. Gee, well, I, I guess mean, I, I guess to, to kind of put a bow on it, I, I would. I mean, let's say you have like a seventy-eight win team that makes the playoffs and wins the whole thing. Like, congratulations. That's awesome. Cinderella story. But at the same time, like, did, did you just like, um, you know, delegitimize, like legitimize, like the entire league and everything that you stand for when it like teams with losing records win the whole thing. Like, I mean, they shouldn't even be there, but. Well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, we, we, (laughs) We've discussed that in previous episodes, and even even though they're our beloved team, I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers making the playoffs in 2020 with a losing record was a joke. I mean, it should never have happened. And and um, yeah. you would hate to – I mean, I, I guess that we could throw the – Scott, you can throw this out on Twitter, your interns can, but uh, I know you're managing that very closely. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we should ask the question, would a 2020 Brewers World Championship, um, you know, with a losing record – have meant anything. I mean, I guess that that's a pretty yeah. realistic question. So for Brewer, for Brewer fans who've never actually won one, that maybe the answer is yes. But I, 
I still think that the vast majority of fans would look at that as kind of a tainted thing and take away the the pandemic aspect of that, which obviously creates a, a unique wrinkle. But to Craig's point, Indeed. you know, you play a long you play a long 162 game season in a typical non pandemic baseball year, and I think that. I, I, you know, I, I think that if you've got a losing record and somehow managed to get hot at the right time and win a world championship, I can't believe that most fans, even of that franchise, would be terribly excited about that, except for the couple of weeks during the playoffs. And, you know, once that fades and you start to think about it, it's like, okay, what do we really achieve? It's not, it's not a team for the ages. It's not the 27 Yankees. I mean, it's just, it's hard for me to think that that's something to celebrate when you have a losing record, but Hey, that's just me. I'm old school. Scotty, you'll put it up on Twitter, and uh, I'm sure our fans will chime in on that topic. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure the Brewer fans will take a championship any which way they can get it at this point. But Maybe. With that being said, I, I, I think I do see your point where if you're trying to imply that baseball fans see Brent Suter starting a playoff game, I mean, so that's what happened. So, um <laughs> But yeah, um, we're in the age of opener. Hey man, we had we had Ryan Healy hitting fourth that game. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. So, there's that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So anyway, Scott, I, but I, I, I do want to wish you guys a very merry Christmas. Uh, this is our official Christmas episode, and uh, Scotty, appreciate you putting in all the music on this one too. Yeah, you're um, yeah, there's just probably not going to be any, um, but you know, if you want, um, go ahead and play this podcast, you know, go on YouTube and put the little, uh, fake fireplace up and, you know, play <laughs> some music, relax, um, yeah, have a beer put, and put it in. Yeah. You'll edit it I'm in probably going to have to go uh, through at least a six pack to get to this podcast, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will look forward to meeting you at the uh, New Berlin Ale House or Broken Bat or Broken Barrel Brewery, Scott. When you fly into town, I will be coming into Milwaukee tomorrow night, uh, so I will be in town. Wow, that's awesome! Uh, I will not make it, unfortunately. Um, even my work actually asked if I would fly to Kentucky um, in a couple weeks, and I was like, no. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, Kentucky has a a myriad of things, you know, and a vast like culture and like all kinds of great things that you'd want to be able to, you know, say that you took, took part of, but, um, at the same time, um, there's no place like home. So. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was born there. L I N C O L N. But, uh, yeah. All right, Scott, I don't know how you're going to save Christmas this year, but if you can stop the expanded playoffs from happening, that would be one thing that baseball fans would, that would be a great step in the right direction for you. I just want we opening a- day baseball on schedule. That's that's literally yeah. my only Christmas wish, and I think that's the wish of every baseball fan right now. Well, we we will talk about it at our in-person meeting in Milwaukee in a couple of days. Cannot wait to see you guys. <laughs> it should be fun. Awesome. All right. Well, stay classy, West Dallas. Take care, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll probably see you. Before, talk to you shortly after that. And go Brewers. Yeah. Merry Christmas, guys. Go Brewers. Go Brewers. Do, 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 do.